called a family support network, which means that you want to have people in your circle that are supporting you. Naysayers, probably not a good fit when you're trying to accomplish something. You want to make sure that the people that are in your corner are the ones raising you up, not putting you down and, 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 and lifting your spirits when you need them. This is the Brother Be Well podcast. We're focused on mental health needs for boys and men of color, including trauma and healing. This podcast series is sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Get ready for real talk. And to our parents and caregivers, listen up, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Former First Lady and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton gets a lot of credit for coining the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. But largely, that credit is misplaced. The phrase is actually based on a centuries-old African proverb, and it conveys the message that it takes many, many people or a village to provide a safe, healthy environment for children and youth. The adage can absolutely be applied to the village or the support network that's required to support families managing children with mental illness. It's crucial that families assemble a support network ideally before the mental health emergency arises. During today's conversation, we'll explore some of the strategies and tips for doing just that, forming a family support network. And we're going to have this conversation with one of my favorite new partners here to us here at Brother Be Well, Shannon O'Connor. She's an associate marriage and family therapist with HearYou.org, one of our value production partners. Hey, Shannon, how are you doing? Welcome back to Brother Be Well. Nice to be here. Really good to have you. Let's get into (laughs) this conversation, if you don't mind. Okay, let's get started. It took me a minute to wrap my brain around the concept of a family support network. When the topic first came up with our team, I thought, hmm, what exactly is that? So as a marriage and family therapist, rather, I thought we'd start there. How would you define family support network? Uh, uh, It's a person or a group of people who are important to um, your, in this situation, your child. Um, to help them reach whatever goals that, that there is that they need to be reached. So um, that would be a number of people. That could be family members. That could be neighbors. That could be friends. That could be a lot. It could be anyone that in, that would be able to help your and support your child to get where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And so I like the way you put it. You can look to family members if they fit the bill, but look across the street or at school or among your circle of friends, a variety of different places you can look for for those people. Yeah. Appreciate it. Before we start talking about some of the mechanics of really putting it together, I'm curious about a couple of things. How you you just talked about it. How very important is it that we broaden that circle of care? And then I'm also curious, um, your work as an associate marriage and family therapist, do you um, uh, encourage or employ family support networks in in your um, treatment plans for your uh, consumers? Um. I will say for the most part, I try to make sure that the nuclear family is, is a part of the support for the child. Whenever I can get them involved in any of the sessions, I try to make sure I do that. Um, I do also ask about their support network. Like uh, when I'm talking to the kiddos or if I'm talking to like a regular client, like who are they going to support when they need to, when they need this, when they need that, just to make sure that they are getting the support that they need. Um, I do suggest that they bring people in, but most of the time they don't want to, but when they do, then it, it does work out. Um, and the other question, um, why is it important? Why are networks important? Is that what the question was? Or Yeah, why is broadening that network important? Because some people believe, you know, a lot of communities of color believe that, you know, don't air your dirty laundry. Let's keep our problems in the family. Don't talk to anybody about what's going on. So the whole 
notion of forming a network with people outside of the family, for some families that might seem a little foreign and they might resist that. So I'm wondering about why you think it's so important that you really look look outside of the nuclear family. Oh, okay. Um, I think the best way to answer that question would be to just give you like an idea of what I do with some of my clients when I'm working with them. There's a there's an activity that I do. Um, it, re- it involves me, like there's a list of characteristics like happy, um, argumentative, brave, loyal, faithful, fierce. Like there's, there's like a long list of, of characteristics that I go through with the client and they have to tell me whether they are that thing or whether they're not that thing. And then once they get their list of characteristics down, what I do to try to get them to understand who they are, I ask them, how did you develop this? Who in your life taught you that, you know, that you could be confident or who in your life taught you that you could be, um, you know, argumentative or that you could, that you are fierce or that's something that you want to incorporate in your life. And you will not believe how many people said, Hey, my neighbor taught me that I could be fierce. Like my, my best friend's sister taught me that I'm beautiful. I didn't know that before. Like, and it's because of their, their outside network of people that they know, um, helping them to like develop the, the characteristics that they have. So I think, the more people that you know, the more that you are exposed to different things that you want to incorporate into your life and that you don't want to incorporate into your life that will make you who you are. Mm, I love that I answer. That the question. It absolutely <laughs> does answer the question. And I, I love a part of it when you said that I wouldn't believe the number of people whose neighbor taught them X. And that's so great for me to hear. I remember growing up, you know, I, a strained relationship, complicated relationship with my own uh, biological father who was in the house. But it was my neighbor across the street. His name was Mr. Jones. And when Mr. Jones, when my dad would get down on me and Mr. Jones perceived it was a little too much, he'd say, hey, stop it. Michael is a superstar. You don't even know what you're dealing with right there. So as a little boy, I started to believe that he was so emphatic about it. He was so sure about it. Even when I didn't see it in myself, I said, wow, this this." and he was an older gentleman. He was older than my dad. So, you know, old enough to be my grandfather. And he said, stop the presses. This boy is on top of things and he's going <laughs> to surprise you and the rest of the world. So it's good to know that I wasn't the only one that was listening to what the neighbor had to say. Yeah. Kids are like Tell strangers me the- that way, though. They 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 try to take in the, the good things and sometimes they end up taking in the bad things, too. But they they look around and they try to see, you know, what they can incorporate into their lives and make a part of like and they're just waiting for like the support from people to say, Hey, yeah, you can do this. Or yeah, you are this, or yeah, you do have the ability or the capability to do this. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about communal child rearing a little bit as, as an extension of a family support network during, during past generations, our communities of color, you know, paved the way they, they had the roadmap. They showed us the way that goes. We were quite good at caring for other children that weren't our biological children. Um, I'm thinking specifically of African-Americans who sometimes showed up on on these shores, as they say, and were separated from children even before, sometimes before we got on the boat. But certainly as of the time we got up on a block and you were, we were sold away from our children sometimes. And sadly, frankly, we don't just have to look at past history. In, in the 20 teens, we had uh, Mexican children separated from families at the border. And so other members of that Mexican community or non-Mexican community had to step in and care for those children. I'm curious here, uh, Shannon, do you think there's anything to be gained by looking at history as we begin to form these networks? And would you agree or disagree that our communities of color, we've really got it down if we listen to the ancestors? I would say that 
in the not so distant past, that was a, a form of like making sure that, you know, all the kids made it um, by using um, like, how do I explain that? So when geographically everyone was together, it was easier for a, a family to, 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 to trust someone else in the community because they look like them. They act like them. They probably had the same traditions as them. So it was okay to let their kids go there because they knew that they were safe. But I think, I don't, I don't think now it would be the same way because of modernization and the fact that like we can move around a lot better and um, diversity. We kind of don't know who our neighbors are. So it's, it's not so easy to just trust your kid with someone that you don't really know. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think we were doing it good back in the day. <laughs> yeah, we had it down then. I would agree with you that we don't know our neighbors the way we used to. And um, maybe maybe we should get back to that. So maybe the yeah. answer, the short answer is, yeah, we could learn from people that had it down back in yeah. the past because they did it a little better than we might be doing it right now. But another thing really? about that is like we, we trusted people who had the same traditions and stuff with us because we knew that they'd learn the same things at home that they would um, out with neighbors back in the day. But it's also important to like let your children learn about other traditions and other cultures. So maybe branching out and getting to know your neighbors that you wouldn't necessarily have trusted back in the day um, and getting to see if they're good people, like exposing your kids to those cultures might help them to like just broaden their own horizons. So. And, and maybe that you're right. Uh, we we might not look like our neighbor, but we might find out we've got more in common with that neighbor that we don't look like than we than we that think. that as well. Yeah, and and that's something that I've learned. You know that that we have more in common with you know the, our Asian neighbors, our Latinx neighbors, our our white neighbors. We we've got some commonalities there, and certainly when you think about raising children. You know, raising children is raising children. I don't care what color the kids are or the parents are. It's the same thing. And yeah. mental health is, you know, schizophrenia is schizophrenia. It's not different if you're black or if you're Asian. It's, it's schizophrenia. So we could learn from 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 partners, uh, neighbors, friends. Yeah. Let's, let's, let me throw out a couple statistics for you specifically as they relate to uh, kids and, and relationships to uh, their biological fathers. Over 57% of Black children don't live with their biological father. 31% of Latinx children don't live with their biological father. I was shocked by that. And I'm wondering about whether you were surprised by that. I'm, I'm not a clinician, so I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And then what would you have to say about other communities really uh, needing to feel the urgency to fill that gap. That's not something that can wait. Six out of 10 black kids aren't living with their father. Somebody else in that community, somebody at the barbershop, somebody across the fence, somebody across the street, maybe it's Uncle Joe. Somebody's got to fill in that gap, I think. What do you think about that? Um, I'm not surprised by the, the statistics. I'm sad that I'm not surprised by the statistics, but I'm not surprised by the statistics. And I do agree that um, it, it, there is a void there and that... Um, someone does need to, to fill in that gap. Um, we can get into the hows and whys, but that would take forever. So we're not going to, but I think I, I agreed to a certain extent that that gap needs to be filled by someone. I don't necessarily think that it needs to be filled by the parent that is no longer there because of whatever reason that they're not there. I think there's some healthier, non-healthy things that would have to be discussed within all that. So yeah, I agree. 
to an extent. I agree. I, I appreciate that. I, you know what? I can see down the road. You and I might put a show together for Brother Well. We could call it Stump, <laughs> Stump the Clinician. Because <laughs> let me let me throw out another stat and see if you're surprised by this one. Because this one knocked me out of my chair, uh, Shannon. 72% of Black babies are born in this country to unwed mothers. 72%. Does that surprise you? No. Whoa. I, 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 it's been a long time since my children were born. I was I was 7 out of 10? Of these of these women aren't don't have a life partner there so that you know i happen to think raising children is a communal activity so i, I don't know i've got all the admiration in the world for people that do it by themselves because i don't i had a hard enough time with somebody i don't know how in the world somebody does it by themselves we'll do stump the condition here on brother well I, 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 I'll, <laughs> I'll get back to you on that let's move on to the next question some of the tenants for building a family support network can be borrowed i think from um old-fashioned professional networking strategies i'm thinking about hosting social events you you at work you host a social event you invite people back in the day people don't do it anymore you pass out a business card you built your network i think families have been doing that for a while and and uh we call it something different when you got little ones we call it play dates families get together you organize a play date all the kids come over and the parents meet and network and figure out what they've got in common and what they don't, where they work, what kind of work they do, what some are good at, what others are, are not good at. What can you what can you say about that? And can you walk us through some of the other mechanics of, of literally building your family support network? How do you go about doing that? Well, I think I think playdates is definitely a, a good way to start, obviously. Um, but I also think that when you think about like how you have to support your network, like you're thinking that you have to go and like be a politician and like schmooze people and, and have to go to different events and talk to people and try to get them on your side and stuff. But it's, it's actually a natural process. It really is. Pay attention to your kid. Who are they hanging around with? Who do they feel comfortable with? Those are the people that you want to bring in. Um, if they have karate class or if they have dance class, who are they flocking to? Those are the people that you want to bring in. Um, if they have, uh, school activities, if there are people that they feel comfortable with there, those are the people that you want to bring into your network. So you kind of, you let your kid do most of the work and you just pay attention and, and then do the talking afterwards. I think that's the best way to go about doing it. I love that idea, but I, I have to say, I wasn't thinking about schmoozing. You put words in my mouth. I, I said, <laughs> no, I was when thinking it, on the broader, like when I talk to people about how, how they build their support network, they're like, you know what? It's just so exhausting to have to go to things and like meet people. And like, but normally you don't really, you don't have to do that. You just follow your kid around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he likes him. Okay. Let's go talk to him. It's, it's that easy. I like the way you put it. Let the kid do the work because they the kids have already figured out, you know, who they like and who they don't, and who their friends are. So there's some commonalities there already. And so it stands the reason. It, it's not a perfect science, but if the kids get along, the parents have got to have something in common, maybe. There's a better chance of it, at least. So I, I love that approach. Really love that approach. Um, as an associate marriage and family therapist, can you touch on family dynamics a little bit and discuss the importance and the critical need, I think, to differentiate between those who might be very biologically close to us when we think about a nuclear family and those who are on the team or on the network. They, they're not, they don't always coincide. Grandma might be a great grandma, but she might not be a, a fabulous family support network member. So can you walk us through a little bit about how you can gently sift out the, the biological family that, that aren't on the team without alienating the family member? Okay. Um, this one kind of stumped me a little bit, but I thought about it and I'm thinking that 
there's more than one network within a family. I mean, you have you have a support network for Bobby, you have a support network for Susie, but then you also have a support network for mom, and you also have a support network for dad. So the people who are in the family that don't necessarily have the skills or the qualities that you need to support Bobby, well, they might have the skills and, and, and things that you need in order to support mom or dad or Susie. So just because a person is in your family doesn't mean that you have to kick them out because they can't help people with mental health problems. Um, they might, they might be the, the caregiver, the one that is always like maternal, the one that is always the one that like helps someone out. That might not be what Bobby needs, but that might be what Susie needs, or that might not even be what the kids need. Maybe that's just what mom needs or what dad needs. So they can start of the network. They'll just be a part of the uh, different person's network. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I love what you said. <laughs> there can be a lot of different networks in the family. It's not just one. Yeah. And and you're right. Each kid, just we know that children are individuals and there's no two kids that are alike. And so why would the network be exactly the same? Exactly. There might be some overlap there. If you've got a really solid mental health advocate, then maybe that person can be on, on all the networks, but but not necessarily on individual ones. I really love it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Let's, let's take a look at some individual professions or groups. And I just want to get your take um, as an associate marriage and family therapist on, on the, the role that they could play. How important is it? Let's look at first medical providers and mental health care professionals. Is it important for them to be on the team and why or why not? Um, again, it depends on whose team that they're supposed to be on. Um, if the child is healthy and they don't have any mental health concerns and it wouldn't really make much sense to have a mental health professional or a doctor on the support team but if you have a person who does have is struggling with mental health or is struggling with like a debilitating debilitating illness or some type of illness that is like changing their way of life of course you want to have that mental health professional there um and of course you want to have the the physical health professional there Really? Why? I'm going to challenge you then. Why is it so important that the you said, of course, the physical health person is there, but you could you could make the same argument. If the kid's not sick, why do you need a doctor there? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he's not sick, then don't I mean, it, they don't need to be on the team. But if, if he is, then, yeah, they do need to be on the team. It depends on, on who's supporting who. And it depends on who's putting the team together, because I, I think you and I might put a different team together. I would I would want a mental health clinician in the in the background, because I'm thinking, what about the kid that now maybe for you, it's easier to identify when there's the signs of mental illness. Uh, I don't have that experience. So I would want somebody kind of in the wings. When I think about a team, you got a basketball team, you got five people on the court, but you got some people on the on the bench ready to step in when you need it. And I would think that you need a mental health clinician sort of at the ready because you don't know, from what I understand, a lot of mental health, and I, I could be wrong, help me out, a lot of mental health conditions can arise really, really quickly. That some a kid can go from be, being completely fine and functioning well, and then something can trigger um, a mental health condition based on brain chemistry or biology, but something can get triggered really super quickly, and you got to be ready to act fast. But if I'm wrong about that, let me know. I don't, I don't think you're necessarily wrong about that, but I think you can you can start a support network without those people until that situation arrives and then bring that person in. I got you. I, I, I got you. I'm going to think about that a little bit. And I wish we had more time to, to explore that one. What about spiritual leaders? I was thinking about clergy or spiritual leaders. Um, and do you have a, any tips for people for filling that void for families that don't have a religious underpinning or a foundation? For some families, that would be super easy. You could go to the deacon or the pastor's wife or, or whatever. But if you don't have that 
that underpinning? Do you have any tips for how people might be able to, to reach out and connect with someone that could be on the network? Yeah, um, I think I think the, the basis of, of having a, a religious um, follow, following, it's still not what I meant, but, you know, having a, a religious background is to teach the, the like, children, teach children like their the moral codes like learning like ethics and 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 what's right and what's wrong and what's bad and what's good and, and all that stuff and if you don't have any type of religious background it doesn't it's it, it's not as important as what the lesson is if that makes sense so i'm pretty sure everyone in their in their family has an elder someone who who has been through some things who has seen some things who has experienced some things and knows right from wrong and is 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 a very morally a bright person that would be the person that you would you would take your your kiddo to in order to to learn those things i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, what, you, what you just reminded me of there shannon is um the the uh the old adage do unto others as, as you would have done unto you treat other people like you want to be treated i believe that's the golden rule mm-hmm. and i'm pretty sure there's a scripture that's associated with that but that's a truth that that's that, that um, transcends religion, I think. That's that's a basic way of treating people that you can teach without a formal religious yeah. uh, structure. And as you said, everybody's got an elder or somebody that can serve in that role. So yeah. that's pretty powerful. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Let's look at let's think about teachers, educational providers. Should they be included? And if and why or not? Um I'm I'm thinking yes for the most part. And that is mainly because Teachers, honestly, are as invested in your kid as you are. They see them for most of the day, uh, for most of the week. So they and they know like what your what your your kids' behaviors are, what they like, what they don't like, who they're hanging out with, who who they're having problems with, their their social issues that they're having. If you're if you're having if you're isolated, they know that stuff too. So bringing a teacher in who sees your child more than you do probably during the day would be a really good support um, person for you to have on your team. I think that you're a hundred percent right on that. I already love talking to you because rarely I, I think do you and I think the other person is a hundred percent right. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I love talking to people that challenge, you know, notions and questions and really want to dig deep and think about things. So I appreciate that. But I think they're you're a hundred percent um, that teacher is with, especially for working parents, that teacher might be uh, maybe not with you, but awake with your child. If you don't count the time you're sleeping, that, <laughs> that teacher sometimes is interacting with the child for more hours a day than, than you are. So it, it behooves us to include those educational folks in those networks. And, and another thing about that, though, is like school is where you encounter most of the stuff that you wouldn't encounter at home anyway. Like you're, you're going to encounter new stuff at school. So your teacher is probably going to be the first person to see you react to something that you've never experienced before. So they're mm. already going to know like they're, they've already handled it. They're going to be the one to teach you how to handle it. It should have come up again. Like yeah. they're 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 like one of the the best team members that you can have certainly yeah i think so (laughs) certainly a good teacher and and we could have a whole conversation about that quality of education and if you've got a solid teacher that's committed and in there and and teachers are um some of our unsung heroes i think underpaid we could talk about this all day (laughs) but yeah I, i think that educational providers should certainly be in the loop there as well 
we're, we're just about out of time, Shannon. The time kind of flies by when you and I get together. I couldn't let you get away without asking you, have we missed anything there? Do you have any other final tips for assembling that family support network for people watching or listening to this as a podcast? I have a very small tip. I just want you to remember that it's called a family support network, which means that you want to have people in your circle that are supporting you. Um, negative naysayers, probably not a good fit when you're trying to accomplish something. You want to make sure that the people that are in your corner are the ones that are, are your biggest cheerleaders, the ones that are like uh, raising you up, not putting you down and, 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 and lifting your spirits when you need them. Yeah, I love that as a final tip. The term that comes to mind sometimes, and I'm not crazy about the term, is you're, you want your ride or dies in there. That's the term people yeah. use. I never like it because I don't plan I don't to die. I want to ride. Like, I don't either. I can't just ride. I don't, I, I, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I don't want to ride or die. I don't like that either. Or I want to ride, and you want people that are going to help you ride, right? <laughs> That'll help you die. We can figure that out. <laughs> Shannon O'Connor, Associate Managing Family Therapist with HearYou.org. Always a pleasure, ma'am. Great to talk to you. And thank you for, for being willing to be with us. Really appreciate it. It's been fun. We'll see you next time. Okay. And I want to thank you for listening into this. And I also want to thank our sponsor for this particular uh, video, Blue Shield of California, and specifically their Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. You can read all about that fantastic program at this website, bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another website I'll tell you about really quickly, brotherbewell.com. That's our own. If you've enjoyed this video or this podcast and you want to hear or see more, listen in on other conversations similar to this one on a variety of mental or, or uh, physical health topics, check us all out at brotherbewell.com. You can join as a member for free right now. So take care of that just as soon as you finish watching this video. And while you're there at brotherbewell.com, sign up for our blog. Just give us your email address. And then two or three times a week, I believe, you'll get notifications in your inbox when videos or, or podcasts just like this collide. So take care of all of that at our website, brotherbewell.com. My name again, Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well. It's a great honor of mine to, to serve in that role for you. And I want to ask you to do two quick things for me as we wrap up today. Take great care of yourself. And then when you get it down, we're talking about these, these family support networks, right? You can be somebody, a member of their network. Reach out, find somebody that's struggling, find somebody that needs a little help and help take care of them too. So do that for me if you would. Till next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. It takes a village, and we're doing our part to address and heal trauma while supporting parents and caregivers along the way. Thanks for stopping by. And remember, my brothers, be well.